Welcome to the No Code MBA show. I'm here with Jeff Roberts, who is the co-founder of Outseta, which is a no code tool, uh, kind of all-in-one no code tool for membership sites. And it has a lot of different features that we'll uh, talk about. So yeah, welcome, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me, Seth. Yeah, awesome. Cool. So in this episode, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about Outseta, maybe Jeff's path to, to starting Outseta and, and, and the growth of Outseta and just how it kind of fits into the no-code landscape in general. But first, maybe uh, could you tell us a little bit more about what Outseta is, like how you came up with the idea and, and, and what problem is it solving for people? Sure. So Outseta is an all-in-one tech stack to launch uh, a SaaS or a membership style business. So really any sort of subscription business, but the product was born um, out of our own experience. We kind of scratched our own itch. So my co-founder Dimitri and I worked together previously at another software company and we were bootstrapping that company. And as we grew, I was kind of the business user. Dimitri was kind of the, the CTO, the, the technical head uh, of the company. And we went through a journey that just about every SaaS company goes through. At one point, we said, you know, we've got enough traction. We need to buy a serious billing system. We need to integrate Stripe. Then it was, we need a marketing automation tool like HubSpot. Then it was, we need Zendesk for customer support. And as we talked about all these technology decisions, probably half the time we went out and bought a third-party tool. But Dimitri is kind of a stubborn guy and a developer himself. So he ended up building a lot of very simple homegrown tools that we used in the context of that business, really going from about zero to six or $7 million in revenue. And that included a very simple billing system, a very simple support ticketing system, um, sort of an internal CRM. So we didn't know it at the time, but we had really built essentially an MVP for what became Outseta. And at that business, when we were both ready to work on something new, we looked back at our sort of early stages of, of bootstrapping that business and said, you know, those homegrown software tools that we built for our own use worked really, really well. If you're a SaaS business, they all need the same tooling. They need subscription billing. They need CRM. They need email marketing. Why isn't somebody delivering sort of the table stakes features required to launch a SaaS business? in a single platform. So that's what we set off to do. The interesting part and really the interesting part about Outsider's journey is we very much started out as a tool focused on developers and a more technical audience. So developers and SaaS businesses need to build all these systems and integrate all these systems. But long story short, they they do have the technical skill set to do that work. So we started out focused on developers, but eventually the no code uh, community sort of discovered us. And what we found relatively quickly is the fully integrated nature of all these tools is that much more valuable to a no code founder who doesn't have the same technical skill set to assemble the perfect tech stack. Mm -hmm. So for the last couple of years, we've really been focused on, on no code and we've taken a more technically oriented product and completely no codified it. Got it. Cool. Yeah. That, that was something I wanted to touch on was I was curious, do you still have developers using it in a more technical way? Or at this point, is it mostly only no code? Or how does that, that you know, split up between your customers? Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. So we're five years into building out Seta now. A huge summary of our journey is it is a huge product. It's really more like four or five software products. So it, it took yeah. us about two years to even deliver an MVP. In year three, we struggled. And I was trying to sell the developers and 
it was just a grind, just an uphill battle. Years four and five, we were discovered by no code. We focused almost exclusively on no code. Mm-hmm. But what we've found as the product has matured is developers are actually coming back a bit. So our customer base is very much split. You can integrate the product completely without code or completely with code. And honestly, we've put very little effort into targeting developers at this point in the last few years. But I think it's fair to say that to some extent, no code founders are at least making developers reconsider their behavior. Developers are seeing that there is this new class of founder who can launch products very quickly and validate their ideas very quickly. And they don't need to build all this tooling from scratch that developers are used to building from scratch. So they've kind of come roaring back and we're actually getting a lot of interest from developers once again. Mm, Interesting. So yeah, people, developers are who have this like knack for wanting to build everything themselves are kind of now seeing that it doesn't have to be that way. And they're, they can kind of, it's almost low code for them, right? Where they can go in and, and, and hook in the same way that you know, you wouldn't build your own payment platform. You use Stripe to build your own membership software. You can use Outseta type of thing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, so with Outseta, I think one thing like you mentioned, which is really cool is that it, it kind of encompasses many tools in one and all of the things that you need for SaaS. So on on your website, I see billing, CRM, email, help desk, and authentic authentication for a membership site. Are you seeing customers, do they typically use all of them at the same time? Do you see people come in and maybe, you know, only use email or only use CRM? How are you seeing customers and kind of thinking about the product in terms of, of who it's best for? Yeah, it's interesting. We do see some fractional use. There are certainly customers that just use the billing system or just use email marketing, but I haven't actually quantified it, but it's very, very high. I would say probably 80 or 90% of our customers really adopt the product in full. And it's not that it can't be fractionally used. It absolutely can, but to really get the full benefit of the platform, where it becomes powerful is all of these tools talking to each other and what you can do because all these tools are talking to each other. Mm -hmm. So kind of the most basic example um, that I like to share is because we're an authentication tool and a CRM and an email marketing tool, if you want to set up a workflow that recognizes when someone hasn't logged into your website or hasn't logged into your product in say 14 days and send them an email saying, why haven't you logged in? Do you need some help? Do you have feedback for us? Did you buy another product? Mm-hmm. If you're doing, if you're setting up that workflow with a separate authentication tool and CRM and email marketing tool, there's at least several hours of work required to make that happen. Without setup, because these systems are all one and the same and talking to each other, you can set that workflow up literally in 30 seconds. So those are the sorts of efficiency our customers realize and ultimately why they use Outsetup. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, that resonates a lot with me because so no code MBA itself, I built it on no code tools before I had heard about Seta. And this was, I guess, a year and a half ago at this point. Sure. So, you know, I have authentication, just like you said, I'm using all these different tools. I have member stack for authentication. I have Airtable, I have mailer light for email. So everything is sure. And I have set up a lot of those types of things like user based on, you know, the actions a user takes. There's, yep. you know, things happening in Airtable that sends to Zapier, that sends to, to you know, member stack and, and mailer light. So, so I definitely feel that pain. I'm curious, like for someone like me who has set up a lot of things on all these different platforms, what would it take to move to Outseta? Or is there some from, cause it feels, 
it feels a little overwhelming to 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 move everything if things are set up but at the same time the benefits i see the, the benefits at the same time so i'm curious are people switching or what is the process for for that for people who might want to Yes, we, we certainly try from a marketing perspective to catch people as early as possible. Right. It's definitely easiest if we can catch them, you know, before they even start building anything. So we focus right. a lot of our marketing effort on that. But my days are filled almost entirely at this point with migrations from other tools. Mm -hmm. And the part that is, is challenging, like it's not difficult to recreate your email campaigns in outside of, for example, the part that you need to be concerned with is payments and authentication. So mm -hmm. we do have a really dialed migration process at this point where whatever tool you're using for your subscriptions or memberships, we can recreate those exact same subscriptions in Outsetta. So if it's a monthly subscription, we create a monthly subscription that renews on the same date and all that kind of stuff. And we can also import your credit card information for your customers. So as there is one um, caveat there, they have to be processing payments via Stripe. But if you use any tool that processes payments via Stripe, we can recreate the subscription, import the credit card information and do a migration that's completely seamless to the end user with one exception. And that's that they need to reset their password after you do the migration, but hmm, got um, it. it's pretty, pretty seamless. Got it. Cool. That's good to know. And good for anyone who is on other tools that, that might want to switch, but it makes sense also to want to get them before that process for both, you know, the customer. And I'm sure it's a lot of work on, on your side as well to be doing all the migrations. Yeah. Yeah. It's, fu it's funny. It's, it's fun with the new customers. We probably most of our customers, I would say at this point started without setup from day zero. And yeah. it's, it's most fun to watch their journey because at this point we've been around long enough that we've seen lots of companies go from zero to hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue. And it's kind of right. awesome to watch that unfold on your own product, but on the flip side of that, from a growth perspective and just in terms of growing out set faster, these migrations of established businesses with established revenue help us grow faster. So we definitely do both. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I, I can imagine there's probably a decent amount of churn with new people who want to start a business, but obviously sure. not every business succeeds. So, so I guess there's some percentage that, that work and some percentage that don't end up working for new customers. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I tell people all the time, Outsetta is in a lot of ways, a terrible business idea. If you're a venture capitalist looking at Outsetta, you'd be like, this makes no sense. It's an all-in-one platform. That's a very low price point product that you're selling to an audience that, you know, a huge percentage of them are going to fail and churn. And that's all hundred percent true. That just means we've had to make a series of decisions to kind of do things differently within the context of Outsetta. One of them is we we don't have a sales team. We don't have a customer service team and those sorts of things enable us to do this while still running a viable business. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That that was the sales team is interesting on, on Outsetta's website. If you go to sales, they have you know, a whole page that's like our sales pitch. And that yeah. inspired, that was inspiring to me. I was like, oh, maybe I should do that for No Code MBA. And it's a cool idea. Just, just uh, it's like a very long pitch that, you know, scaling a, a sales team or, you know, scaling the idea of what a sales team is without a, without a sales team. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other thing I was curious about in terms of growth, I saw on your blog that you all are, are public with your numbers. So you're building in public and, and kind of embracing that. And I've, I've thought about, you know, potentially doing that with, with no code MBA. And I'm curious, how has that worked for you? Is that something you'd recommend or just in, yeah, what kind of inspired you to, to build the public? 
Yeah, it's it's been interesting. I, I would say when we started five years ago, I certainly didn't set out saying we're going to to build in public. Even five years ago, no one was using the the, the phrase "build in public." Right. Um, <laughs> I think an objective of ours was always to be extremely transparent, and we knew that you know, we were building and bootstrapping substantial SaaS product and that our own journey would resonate with our own customers. So we always tried to be um, very transparent. We share almost everything. We we don't share revenue at this point, see a huge value in doing so and don't want to, you know, come off as sort of hitting our own chest and, and bragging about what our revenues at and those sorts of things. But we share all of our expenses. We share most of the difficult strategic decisions that we're trying to make. And I, I certainly write a lot on our website just about my founder journey and experiences and those sorts of things. And I think it is at the end of the day, just a really strong brand building. We have a lot of customers that just say, you know, I read a blog post of yours, it resonated. And a year later, when I had an idea for a subscription business, I came back uh, because the ideas that you're conveying and the openness with which you're conveying them makes us trust you and makes us want to do business with you. And I think ultimately bringing people on your journey is a, a huge opportunity and one that I personally don't see many downsides to doing. Yeah, that's actually really interesting of sharing everything but revenue. So sharing the the, the strategy, sharing expenses, and that makes sense to me. It actually makes I think for, for me too, it's, it's, it's less appealing or, and I think at some point for businesses also, it, it becomes almost a strategic negative to be sharing revenue. Whereas there is a way to build, build in public, share everything but revenue. I think that still provides a ton of value to people and inspiration without actually giving away everything about the business. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, I think there's nothing wrong with sharing revenue. We, we did for a while in our early years. I do think that you know there's just not a ton of benefit but at the same time i can envision as we hit major revenue milestones going forward using those as points so it took us x number of years to get to 10 million dollars in revenue or whatever it is right um so we we might do some of that but just kind of like having a public dashboard of our our revenue i don't think provides much much business value at this point Right. Totally. And you all, you're bootstrapped, right? A hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And was that a decision you made from the, from the beginning in terms of bootstrapping? It yeah. was absolutely. So my co-founder and I worked together at a previous SaaS company that I mentioned, it's called Buildium. It's the word build and then IUM.com where we bootstrapped that business to six or $7 million in revenue then started raising funding, had a remarkable experience with all the investors involved in the company, had a successful startup run. I've got nothing bad to say um, about our own journey, having deployed venture capital previously. But when we went to work on something new, we said, we don't want to build a big company in terms of headcount. We want to you know, completely control the business and own our own destiny. So that's been the objective since day one. And I don't think we'll ever raise money at this point. Yeah. Cool, for sure. Yeah, it makes sense. I think definitely more and more people are seeing the benefits of, of bootstrapping. And it's it's obviously there's pros and cons to both different for models. Sure. It's not like one is necessarily better better than the other, but it depends on goals. And I think being thoughtful about it is is really good. And more people, I think, are being thoughtful as opposed to just saying, oh, I'm starting a business and I need to raise money right right away. So. For sure. 
I, I'll tell you, it's 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 tempting either way. We're at a stage <laughs> we're at a stage right now where you know one of the things holding us back is just the the size of our team, frankly. And we're at a point where we could really use an injection of capital, and it would help in a lot of ways and help us go faster. And we're sort of fighting that urge to to go down that path because we do think you know longer term we're going to be in a place that we want to be in if we remain bootstrapped. So right, yeah, I'm sure it's tempting, especially when the market is super hot and you see everyone raising insane amounts 100%. of money. You're like, we know our numbers compared to their numbers. And I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. makes, makes total sense. So, so you embraced the no code space in the past yeah. couple of years. I'm curious, I guess, how would you explain like what no code is to someone who, who hasn't heard of it before? And, and I guess, where do you, how has, how has embracing it? It sounds, I think you touched on this a little already, but it affected like the growth of, of Outseta. Yeah. So how would I explain it? I think it's about enabling more people to, to build digital online style businesses. So previously in order to launch one of these businesses, um, it did require knowing how to write code. And that's a huge obstacle. That's like saying, Jeff, you, you can't communicate with me unless you speak Chinese and I just don't speak Chinese. So it's, you know, it's something that was totally out of reach, uh, but no code is making it accessible. So somebody that doesn't know how to write code, can launch one of these businesses and get it off the ground and operate and scale a business into millions of dollars of revenue. So I think the power of no code is just about accessibility. It's giving people the ability to, to do something that they, they couldn't do before. And, and that's kind of the, the magic of it. For us specifically, it's had a huge impact on our business. Really three years into building out Seta, we had customers, but we didn't have a lot to show for three years of effort, to be perfectly frank with you. And moving into the no-code market was really the first major inflection. People, you know, were using tools like MemberStack and Memberful and the other uh, membership software products that have become popular in the no-code space. And we kind of showed up and they saw that they got similar functionality plus the CRM and email marketing and some of these other tools and it became very popular very quickly. So we we owe a lot to the no code space and MakerPad and Webflow specifically. Cool. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. I would yeah, if, if it it totally makes sense, especially knowing kind of the space and how how many different tools a lot of people are are using that that using one tool like like Outseta is really appealing, I think. And so it's 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 cool that you're able to find this, this market. And it's, I think it's another interesting like story with, with businesses. Like it can take, like you mentioned, it took three years to really find that right customer base or get your, the, the right messaging across to find the right people. And I think it's interesting and it can take a while sometimes for businesses to find who's the right market. How do you market to them, you know, correctly or, or in the best yep. way with even, you know, so it's a lot of it is marketing at the end of the day in, in, in some way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even in the no, even in the no code space, like one of the, one of the things that drives people to Outseta is there's all these no code founders, MakerPad is full of them yeah. um, that have, you know, watched a bunch of tutorials and learned no code and stitched all these tools together. And even if you're using no code and you're using Zapier to connect tools, there's still some technical complexity there. There's still stuff that can break. And we get no code founders coming to us all the time that are just pulling their hair out saying, Yes, I've built all this with no code, but it feels like a spider web. It's kind of a mess. It's constantly breaking and we can help bring um, some order to that 
often yeah. no code chaos. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. What are the next features that you're, you're building for Outseta? What's, what's next on the roadmap? Yeah, it, it's interesting. This is a very uninspiring answer, but it's, it's the truth. So Outseta is, as I said, a, a big product. We really think of it as built around sort of four key features. There's, there's sign up and login forms. There's the CRM, email marketing, and then, and then help desk. Those are kind of the four um, pillars of the product, I guess. But what that means practically is we're not planning to build a lot of new features, uh, meaning like totally new product functionality. What we're working on is taking everything that we've already built that much deeper and closer to feature parity with the other tools that we compete against. Mm -hmm. So as a business, we've spent the vast majority of our time to date on our, on our billing system, basically authentication and billing, because those are kind of the core features that need to be implemented to use Outseta. And that's ultimately why people buy us in the first place, but the rest of the functionality becomes useful later. And the example I'll give is email marketing. Actually up until two days ago, we had an email marketing platform. You can set up automations and send email broadcasts and all those sorts of things. But we gave our customers a single email template within their account that was skinned for their business and whatnot. But if they wanted additional templates, they needed to know HTML and CSS. So we didn't have a library of 300 templates and a drag and drop builder like a MailChimp would have, for example. Earlier this week, we launched a drag and drop email builder. So that's kind of representative of our product strategy going forward. It's look at the best email marketing tools, look at the best help desk tools and, and elevate out set until we're pretty close to feature parity with those. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that, it makes a lot of sense because if someone is, you know, maybe they sign on, they you know, join out set for authentication, but you want them to also feel like they're getting a best in class product across everything and not sure. be like, oh, I have to use MailChimp in addition. So that, that makes total sense. Yeah. 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 Just in, just in the last two days, the number of Outsetter customers that were still sending emails via MailChimp or ConvertKit because of email design was, was pretty substantial. And all of these customers now are coming over to our email product and canceling those MailChimp and ConvertKit subscriptions and are happy to do so because it's one less tool that they, they need to pay for. Yeah, totally. It is, it is it's, it's, it's really amazing, like the value that people are getting for one price, one subscription compared to what they would have to pay for, for all these different subscriptions. So it's, yeah, it, it makes sense that people would be canceling their other subscriptions. Yeah. Um, so what are the, what are the main business types of SaaS? Is there, I guess it's, it yeah. seems like there might be a range, right? Of maybe the no code businesses might be a little different than the, the technical businesses that are using Outseta. Is there any are there any commonalities between maybe buckets of types of businesses that seem to, to be using Outseta and getting a lot of value out of it? So our, our customer base has three main types of users. And there's actually two that we haven't put any effort into, but that I'm really excited about. And I think are great new use cases for Outseta. So the, the three that are common today in our customer base are traditional technical founders of SaaS companies. That is certainly one that is our own business. So our own business runs entirely on Outset of, you know, we're a right. traditional SaaS company and, and that is the market we initially set out to serve, as I said. The second is going to be no-code founders of membership sites. So the audience that, you know, uses member stack, member full, member space, similar thing without Outset of, um, that's 
probably the biggest group at this point. And the third is people managing online communities. So the product itself is the community. They want to monetize it in some way and need tools to manage that community. So that could be communities built on, on Circle. That's really the most popular in our customer base. Another tool called Tribe, Discord, Slack, that kind of thing. But communities, membership sites, and SaaS are the big three. The two that I'm uh, kind of personally excited about, and I think where we're going to push a little bit in the future, is small agencies or freelancers. So as we built out Seta in the early years, I'm a perfect example. I would do marketing consulting with, with startups and charge customers on a retainer basis. And now Seta is actually a really nice sort of tech stack for that type of business. And the, the value that the people that use it in that capacity realize is rather than chasing down your clients and sending them an invoice every month and waiting for payment, if you use Outsetter, you can just automate getting paid every month. So you don't have to ever worry about collecting from clients. The payments just come in, right. uh, which is really nice and related to that. But similarly, there's a lot of, I guess, talk on Twitter and elsewhere about why hasn't someone built like a great personal CRM and um, sort of like a right. personal tech stack. And Outsetter can be used in that capacity too. And we're starting to see people discover that and it's uh, accessible enough in price that it's a really nice use case there as well. Got it. Cool. Yeah, no, makes sense. Um, that's, yeah, both really interesting, the agency aspect and the, the personal CRM as well. And yeah, definitely also speaks to, because Outseta is such a big product, like it does apply, it can it can be really great for all sorts of different, different use cases and, and customers. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, cool. And then in terms of, of growing Outseta, it sounds like some of, you know, you get customers coming in through the blog and through different no code and initiatives but what are what are you seeing i guess working best in on the marketing side and and maybe what are you hoping to to do on the marketing side moving forward yeah good good question so our our number one source of leads and customers at this point is is seo and yeah i guess you could call it seo or, or content marketing we started writing content and investing a lot of time in our content the same day that we started writing code and classic kind of seo story i have a writing background so creating content is something that comes somewhat naturally to me i'm no like seo whiz by any means but it took you know it took two years for us to really feel the impact of that content in a substantial way. Now it's something I've been spending less and less time on, and it's still far and away our, our best lead source. So mm -hmm. any business that's built, you know, for the long term, I, I certainly recommend you focus on SEO early. Yeah. Beyond that, it's been almost completely partnerships with other companies that are highly relevant to what we offer. So those are MakerPad, Stripe. And Webflow in, in particular, those three are sort of partners with, with each. We've got you know listings on their website. And that's just been hugely effective for us because if you're on MakerPad and you're learning no code and you're looking to build a subscription business, outset is hyper relevant. Likewise, if you're on Stripe's website looking to set up subscription billing and you discover Outseta, hyper relevant. So it's just been um, the quality of traffic coming from those sources has been mm really, really targeted. And really it's, it's those partnerships and SEO that have driven our growth so far. There's other things that we do. Certainly I did lots of email prospecting early on. Yeah. Um, we do, we do some community marketing, I guess, where I just participate in relevant communities and, and that drives us some eyeballs, but those are the channels that have delivered in a significant way. In terms of what 
comes next. We've put a lot of effort, as I said, into content and SEO, but to be honest with it, my, or to be honest with you, my approach to SEO and content has always been focused solely on the quality of the content. And if you write great content, people will somewhat naturally discover it and share it and, and that kind of thing. But we haven't been terribly deliberate with our SEO strategy. So we haven't done intentional link building. I haven't even really targeted too many keywords intentionally and getting a little bit more deliberate with our SEO strategy, finding those keywords and, and building links around them and those sorts of things are something we've started to do just in the last six months. And it's mm. certainly starting to accelerate our, our SEO results, which is great. And it is kind of a interesting challenge for us because we play in categories that are hyper competitive, email marketing, right. CRM, subscription billing. There's no way we would ever be able to rank for those keywords, to be honest with you. It's not worth our time targeting customer relationship management or CRM. So we need to find these sort of tangentially related keywords that are hyper relevant to, to our business that have lower traffic, less competition and, and focus on those keywords. And that's a big part of our strategy this upcoming year. Cool. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. It is amazing what SEO can, can do if you invest in it, it early. Uh, I think half of no code MBA's traffic right now is from SEO and even awesome. not intentionally. Like there was an article I wrote a year ago, like 11 no code business ideas that you can, you know, start. And then it, it, it kind of, I don't know, some, sometimes it just takes off on, on Google and, and right. I wasn't doing keyword research or anything like that. Sure. It just, I wrote it. And I think like you make a good point that if you write good content, then that is always going to have a better chance of, of succeeding. But along with you, I'm also starting to think about, okay, I should probably invest more, do, you know, do research into what people are actually searching and, and try and be a little bit more methodical about it. But totally, it's one of those things that no founder will ever be like upset that they invested in SEO early. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. So, so the only paid, so organic SEO, no pay to add other than maybe par some partnerships, but nothing, no sale, no outbound sales team or anything like that. And so it's pretty no, crappy. And nothing, yeah. nothing at all, really no, no paid marketing whatsoever. We, you know, we pay for some software tools that we use and, and things like that, but really we've invested lots of time in marketing, very, very little money, if, if any money at all, really. Yeah, cool. No, that that's awesome. Those are all the same things that would apply to like founders who are starting a business on Atseta as well. And and which I guess is why it's, you know, works so well for you because the audience is the same as what you're blogging about or the same things that your audience is interested in and helpful to them also. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's very convenient. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So as we're uh, winding down the interview in terms of, you know, let's say someone is just getting started on Outseta, starting a business. Is there any books you would recommend to help them? Any blog posts, uh, maybe any blog posts that you've written that you'd want to point out that might be helpful to, to a new entrepreneur? Yeah, I'll, I'll speak to one blog post. We have a blog post. It's called customer success, unit economics, then growth. If you just search for that phrase, you should be able to find it. But that is the most useful framework that I've come across in my entire career that relates to subscription businesses. And basically what it is making a case for is in the earliest stages of your business, 
the first thing you need to figure out is how to make a customer successful with your product. It doesn't matter if it's profitable. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how long it takes you. You absolutely just need to figure out, you know, I have a customer with an objective. How do I get them to fulfill that objective? And until you do that, you shouldn't focus on anything else. And honestly, that, that took us quite a, quite a long time. I said, it took us two years to deliver an MVP. Then we had to figure out how to onboard, you know, customers to a product that is very big, that does have a big feature set. And we spent a lot of time really focusing on just onboarding for, for new users and making that as quick and easy as possible, given their onboarding to a big product. But once you figure out that recipe, then the unit economics part is now it's time to focus on, can we turn this into a viable business? Can we acquire customers cost effectively enough that we have an opportunity to scale this business? And that's when you start taking these unscalable processes and trying to find ways to scale them so that you can be profitable. And only once you find that recipe and only once you can acquire customers um, that are going to be successful and do it cost effectively, then you should start thinking about growth. And I think what way too many entrepreneurs do is they launch an MVP and they immediately start focusing on growth. And mm -hmm. it comes from a good place. You absolutely you know, anyone that's bootstrapping knows that they have limited runway and they need to bring money into the business as quickly as possible and all those sorts of things. But if you step on the growth gas pedal, so to speak, prematurely, and you haven't figured out the other two, you're going to burn money. You're going to have a lot of churn. So just really being deliberate about following that recipe, I think, um, saves a million headaches. But aside from that, in terms of just books and other resources, two things I'd advocate for. One is a book um, by a guy named Frederick Leloux called Reinventing Organizations. That has been a significant influence on our company and how we operate our company, what's called self-managed. We don't have any hierarchy in the business. Everybody owns part of the business that works in the business. And it's just very different from the traditional model of a tech company that you, you see in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And I, I think whether you like the concepts in the book or not, it helps you think through what do I want out of my business? I can do things differently. I can do things my own way, whatever that means to you. Mm. And I think that's a really um, important message. And then the, the final one would be a book by Addie Pinar, which is called Life Profitability. Uh, mm. And I wrote a blog you can find on outsider.com about that recently, but it's basically encouraging founders to look at not just the profits that their business makes, but sort of how their life profits from their business. And you might be making a ton of money, but if your business is all consuming and sucking the life out of you as a person, is that what you went into entrepreneurship? And it helps you kind of reflect on most of us are entrepreneurs because we want some degree of flexibility and freedom. And there's lots of ways your business can deliver what he calls life profits aside from just business profits. And I think it's just a really useful and healthy book for any founder to read. That's awesome. I, I love all of those. I think uh, I, I haven't read any of those before, but they all, they all sound really great. The blog post, you know, getting totally makes sense. You have to make sure you have a good product and it works and it's solving a problem for people. Um, that kind of reminds me of uh, like people who maybe launch on product hunt before they figure out if it's actually something that people are getting value out of versus if you launch and you already know that you have users and it's working, it's going to be a lot 
some more successful, one successful. Just one example of, of that. Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm interested. It's actually, we don't have to go too much off on a tangent, but I'm curious, you mentioned that all of your employees have ownership in, in the business. And I feel like that's maybe less common for bootstrapped businesses. So even just if, if anyone who is bootstrapping a business wanted to do that, or thinking about how to, a framework for that, how, how have you guys thought about that? And, and yeah. how do people do that if they even want to? Cause I think that it seems uh, challenging. Yeah, it's, it's a interesting model. It certainly emphasizes hiring. You need to be, you know, careful of who you bring onto the team and, and make sure you have a high degree of conviction that you're making a quality hire because not only are, not only is everyone an owner, but there's no vesting schedule. People start earning ownership in the business immediately, which a lot of people would, would say is crazy, uh, <laughs> but it, it's worked really, really well for us. And in short, if anyone's interested in this topic, I'm happy to talk about it and actually show you um, the mechanics of how it all works. But in short, we started out with our founding team and then folded people, other people into the same model where we standardized a rate of pay and that it was $100 an hour for whatever that's worth. And then you can either elect to work for an hour and earn $100 in cash compensation or work for an hour and earn $100 worth of equity in the business. Mm. And everybody has had sort of a different path with that same model. So when we started out bootstrapping, our entire co-founding team was working entirely for equity in the business. We weren't paying ourselves anything. And right. then as our, as our revenue scaled up, we've all scaled up the number of hours that we work for cash compensation. And it's a little bit different for each of us, just based on our personal lives and cash needs and all of that. But to give you a example of how this, this can be, I guess, powerful, depending on your scenario, we brought on a developer this, this past year who happened to have had a successful startup run of his own and did not need a lot of cash compensation. So he worked with us over the course of the last year, largely earning equity in the business because that's what he wanted. And he owns five or 6% of Outseta at this point, which is way beyond what you know a VP, a VP or even a C-level exec at most tech companies earn. And it's been a great model both ways. I mean, yes, he owns a big chunk of the company, but this is somebody that we want to be heavily involved in the company. Right. And it's also allowed us to bring on a super talented employee, you know, for, for very little cash compensation. So it's a model that's worked um, great for us and something I'm happy to share with other founders if they want to reach out. Yeah. Interesting. So basically as they work or as employees work, they're accruing equity that they immediately get essentially. And then, you know, if yep. someone works for three months and leaves, they would get still maintain that, that equity ownership. And so yeah. And it. Exactly. And it's, it's interesting, even, even for me at this point. So this is the, the downside of the model, I would say. At this point, I'm earning a, a pretty decent salary. It's $8,000 a month from Outseta. But I'm in a position where I could choose to make less money and grow my equity stake faster. And as I look at the business um, at this point with the trajectory we're on and everything, I'm probably costing myself a lot of money long-term by taking the cash compensation that I'm taking and not totally optimizing for equity, but I'm a person that has bills and needs and <laughs> needs income. I'm not independently wealthy. So it's, it's always kind of a rub. It's like, I'm motivated to pay myself as little as possible so that equity state continues to grow as much as possible. But I also need to balance that with the reality of life. 
Right. Yeah. So is there not to get too much in the weeds, but is there like this equity pool that hasn't been assigned to anyone basically that gets assigned out every, every month? So there's not, there's not an equity pool. We look at the total amount of the total amount of time that has been invested in, in building the business. And that that's kind of the overarching size of, of the equity pool, I guess. And then it's, of all those hours, how many has each employee contributed their time and how much have they been compensated in, in cash for their time spent working at the company? Got it. Got it. Cool. I feel like we could probably talk for 30 more minutes about that, but uh, really, really interesting. And I, I feel like it, you're, it seems like you're doing something really innovative there that not many companies are, are doing. And the questions, obviously, about like how, how to do that in the best way, incentivize people. And most people just think of equity as stock options for a venture-backed company. So it's cool yep. to, to learn about you know, other options for, for businesses. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting thing about it is this idea of self-management has been around for a while. And Zappos is a, a company that adopted self-management at scale and is kind of known for that. But it was largely sort of ignored or talked down on by Silicon Valley in general. And then recently we've heard a lot about DAOs and the Web3 community and decentralized organizations. It's the exact same thing. The only difference is a a DAO is um, typically built on Web3 technology, but in terms of the model and the overarching objectives of what we're doing and what a DAO does, it's almost identical. And now (laughs) Silicon Valley is talking about DAOs. This is the greatest idea ever. And everybody needs to be decentralized and earning ownership in something based on their contributions. So it's, it's become trendy recently. And the the message that we share is there's nothing wrong with web three or DAOs, but you can get all those same benefits without needing blockchain technology to do it. Right. Yeah. And you've been doing it for, for years on, on your, without it. Yeah. That's super, really, really, very interesting. I feel like there could be a whole SaaS that like helps businesses set this Absolutely. up. Yeah. Cool. Uh, where can people find more info about you or Outseta? Yeah. Yeah. It's just Outseta.com. So it's the word outset with an A on the end. Um, or you can find me on Twitter at Jeff. It's G-E-O-F-F-T Roberts. But those are the two best places. Cool. Awesome. Anything else you would want to add? No, just thanks. Thanks for having me. You know, I was excited to have this conversation with you. Uh, honestly, it's it's funny, the power of Twitter, but some of the Twitter threads that you've written, I've read, and I've just been like, this guy, Seth gets it. This is like logical, no bullshit advice on, on building, you know, no code businesses. So I'd encourage everybody, you know, obviously if they're <laughs> listening to this podcast, they probably know you, but uh, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I've been been uh, trying to put more effort into Twitter lately as a, as a marketing channel. And, and that's that's cool that you've, you've been able to, you've just kind of seen them pop up. So cool, I appreciate Absolutely. it. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, cool. thanks so much, Seth. Yeah, thank you.